Hello, my dear listeners. You found your way to Counter Melody, and I couldn't be more delighted to welcome you to my podcast. Once again, and as always, I'm your host, Daniel Gundlach, and I'm here to present to you the finest exponents, both renowned and less well-known, of the art of song. Sometimes it just seems as if the world has turned completely upside down, but it is my fervent hope, even in these difficult times, that the artists I present here may brighten our path with their luminous voices and inspire us on our search toward a better and more hopeful future. And now, this week's episode. Soundcheck done, ready. Hi everyone, I have something so special for you today. For Counter Melody, it's a little off the beaten path, but I do think that everyone is going to find it quite fascinating. Let's start with a selection you've probably heard before. the title song from Dreamgirls. But have you ever heard it sung in Korean before? Therein lies the interest and the fascination in today's episode, because I have with me my dear friend David Saverin, who has just published a wonderful new book. I'll just turn it over to David, who's going to tell us more about the book itself. David, welcome to Counter Melody. Thank you very much. It's such a thrill to be here to be able to promote my new book, Tell It to the World, the Broadway musical Abroad, that was just published by Oxford University Press. And this is about how the musical has been indigenized, nativized in South Korea and Germany, basically in the period since World War II, but focusing in particular on the past 20, 25 years. You're probably wondering why South Korea and Germany? It so happens that these are the centers for the production of U.S. musicals in East Asia and continental Europe. Both Seoul and Hamburg are hugely important on the international musical circuit. 
And it so happens that in 2012, Patrick Healy wrote a cover story in the New York Times on musical theaters in Germany, followed in 2013 by a cover story on musical theater in Korea. I had already decided at that point I was writing about the two countries, but that, of course, solidified my choice. What I'm looking at in this book is not so much the circulation of work like The Lion King or Phantom of the Opera or other Disney musicals, but rather how writers in both of these countries have taken the musical theater formulas and made them their own in absolutely brilliant ways. Now, just to clarify for the listeners, this episode is going to focus on the Korea portion of the book, and we're going to do another episode in a week, 10 days, whatever, that will focus on the German part of the book. Those two parts are rather different in that we're talking more in the German portion about works that people may be more familiar with. What's interesting about the Korea part is that, yes, we heard the example from Dreamgirls, and that's something that people will recognize. But these other pieces are, for want of a better term, Broadway-style musicals that concern themselves with specifically Korean themes. What would you well, say? Well, yes, all except one have Korean subject matter. So tell us a little bit about the track that we just heard. That is really how I first became aware that Korea has an incredibly active and brilliant musical theater culture. This was a production of Dreamgirls from 2008 that was drawn to my attention by a then-student of mine, Kayla Ji-hun-yo, who wrote a paper on this basically about the racialization in the Korean dream girls. And I was so fascinated by this that I started reading up about Korean musical theater. And then in 2011, I had the opportunity to see a Korean musical that came to Lincoln Center. The title of it is Hero. And it takes place in the early 20th century, and it's about a Korean patriot, An Chung-gun. This was the period of Japanese colonialism. Japan grabbed the Korean peninsula in 1910 and remained the overlord until the end of World War II. And let me just say that Japan's occupation of Korea was a particularly brutal one. And An Chun-un was a patriot who was opposed to the Japanese and, in fact, assassinated the Japanese emissary in 1909, was caught, tried, and summarily executed. He is the hero. The, and when was this originally produced? It was first done in Korea in 2009. It came to Lincoln Center in 2011. So did you see it at that point? I did, and I was blown away by it. So you were already aware of the Korean fascination with musicals at this point. Right, but this was the first Korean musical I actually saw, and I was just stunned by how beautifully put together it was. Visually gorgeous, musically sumptuous, with an amazing performance by the lead, Sung Hwa Chung. 
I think we have a couple examples to play for our listeners, right? Yes. The first one is from the very beginning of the musical, and it's a big choral number. This, by the way, is a very large-scale musical that, in fact, was recently made into a movie musical, which I would not recommend, actually. It's sort of an action movie meets movie musical This first selection is a big choral number, and then after that, I want to play the 11 o'clock number when An Chong-gun is about to be executed and he sings his great plaintive cry. It's significant to point out that these are well-trained vocalists that sound like a Broadway baritone, a very, very well-trained Broadway baritone. Yes. And here's the 11 o'clock number. I ended up doing a huge amount of research about the development of music in Korea. And Western music came to the Korean peninsula at the very end of the 19th century. And interestingly, it was under the Japanese occupation, though, that Western music really spread. 
the first recording by a Korean singer who in fact studied Western voice was Yun Shim Dok, and this piece is called In Praise of Death. It is in fact an adaptation of the piece of music called Waves of the Danube by the Romanian composer Jan Ivanovici. This was recorded in 1926. It was followed the following year by her love suicide with her paramour. So that there is this tragic story associated with this song. And let me just say here that the Korean portion of this book focuses a lot on a particular Korean affect called Han, which means sadness, resentment, grief. And so many of the selections you'll be hearing are in the minor mode. And there really is a kind of thoroughgoing sadness in a lot of this work. Han remains a somewhat controversial category, but so many believe in its existence that I'm accepting it as more or less real. Okay, so this is, uh, well, what, what is the, the English translation of this song that you're using? In Praise of Death. In Praise of Death. It's sometimes also called Hymn of Death. Yeah. But you all may recognize the tune of Waves of the Danube. It's certainly a piece of sheet music that we always had on our piano at home when I was growing up. So it's not an unfamiliar tune, but it's in a very different guise than one might hear played at your grandmother's piano. to after World War II. What is really crucial in this is that the U.S. occupied Korea beginning in 1945. And of course, then the Korean War was between 1950 and 1953, with hundreds of thousands of American GIs stationed in Korea. And of course, South Korea remains on the front lines of what used to be called the Cold War. And there are more U.S. military installations in South Korea than any place else in the world. And what this meant was that after the war, the armed forces radio network set up broadcasting all over the country. And again, there were hundreds of thousands of servicemen. There were hundreds of clubs that entertained these servicemen, clubs that needed live musicians. So they recruited local Korean singers, instrumentalists, 
And the only way that they could get jobs was by learning the American style and by learning English. The next example is really the first Korean group to hit the big time called the Kim Sisters. And when you say hit the big time, you mean in the United States? Yes. Or in Korea as well? Yes, both. They started entertaining U.S. troops in 1953. They came to the U.S. in 1959. They performed at Las Vegas, and they were called the China Doll Review. They also performed 22 times on The Ed Sullivan Show. And I do think that's a record for appearances of musical guests on Ed Sullivan. But they were quite ubiquitous in the 1960s in the U.S. Yes, although what we're playing is a recording from 1970 when they returned to Korea, and this is called Kimchi. The lyrics to this song express what it was like for these women, so versed at this point in American traditions, to then be going back to their homeland. That's specifically what's referred to by Kim Chi. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the second half of our show, featuring, direct from the Republic of Korea, the fabulous Kim Sisters. As I was doing research, I came across a wonderful book by Kyung Hyun Kim called Hegemonic Mimicry that was published in 2021. And he writes about the many, many different ways that Koreans have adapted U.S. musical cultures. I really want to emphasize the eclecticism of this because the next group is a boy band called He Six. Well, He Five originally, and then they added another member and became He Six. So these are from the late 1960s. They show this remarkably skillful blend of Motown, blues, folk, surfer music, and just old-fashioned rock and roll. As well as top 40 middle of the road stuff that was originally exemplified by the music making of the Kim sisters. Now they're quite fascinating. The example that we're going to hear is something called field or Meadow. meadow. And this sounds very middle of the road. It's beautifully harmonized, beautiful voices, but they also did later on some real psychedelic music yeah. that we just happened to be listening to yesterday. Where do one cousin so yeah? 
스며드는 빗소리 마지막 잎새처럼 그느끼는 초원에 아득한 그리움이 익어가는 지평선 옛날이 그리워져 찾아오는 초원에 속삭이던 한병저원에서 저원으로 사라지던 한병 사라지던 한병 One thing that I really want to emphasize is that this period, 1960s, 1970s, was the period of the Park Chung-hee dictatorship that was a really ruthless authoritarian dictatorship that was, of course, heavily supported and sponsored by the United States. During this time, there was strict censorship of the arts, and this meant that long hair on men was forbidden, and simply the words of songs were really censored for any political content. One of the artists who arose during this period is, I guess I would call him a kind of folk singer. His name is Kim Kwang Seok. He was an amazing artist whose heyday was the late 80s, early 90s. He committed suicide in 1996 at the age of 31. And he, like Yun Shim Dyok, has been mythologized. His music is a beautiful mishung of folk and pop. And he's an incredibly expressive singer. The reason why I mention him is because one of the musicals about which I'll be speaking, which is called The Days, is a jukebox musical from 2013 that uses his songs. What I want to do is first play you a fabulous song of his. This is a live performance from 1993. It's called On This Road. Korea. 짙은 어둠이 낙엽처럼 쌓이고 차가운 바람만이 나의 곁을 스치면 왠지 모든 것이 꿈결 같아요 옷깃을 세워버리며 웃음지려 하여도 떠나가던 그대의 모습 보일 것 같아 다시 돌아보며 눈물 흘려요 그래 
슬픈 추억은 소리 없이 흩어져 이젠 그대 모습도 함께 나눈 사랑도 더딘 시간 속에 잊혀져가요 더딘 시간 속에 잊혀져가요 You mentioned the musical The Days and that it was a jukebox musical, but this is a jukebox musical with a different plot. It is not at all about the life of Kim Kwang Seok, is it? No, it's not. Actually, like Hero, it's very much about Korean history. It takes place both in 2012 and 1992, 2012 being the 20th anniversary of South Korea establishing diplomatic relations with China. It's basically about two bodyguards. Most of it takes place in the Korean presidential palace in Seoul. In 92 or? In, well, in, 90... in 92, but then also in 2012, one of the bodyguards, the one who remains alive, is remembering what happened 20 years before. The central female character is identified only as she, and she's a translator. In 1992, both North Korea and Taiwan had very good reasons for wanting to derail this diplomatic setup between China and South Korea. It's a kind of mystery in which she has disappeared. But in fact, one of the bodyguards, Mu Young, has fallen in love with her, and the two of them run away. But... The police are on their tail, and they're on the mountain behind the presidential palace. And Mu Young decides that he wants the woman he loves... To be able to escape. To be able to escape as a decoy. He incinerates himself with all of this pollen that is in the air at this particular time of year. This is a suicide that, of course, also looks back to Kim Kwang-seok's suicide. This also sounds like uh, Lakme poisoning herself from the, the poisoned flowers, or, um, or Selika in Meyerbeer's L'Africaine also breathing in the scent of a poisonous flower. <laughs> Just a little operatic tie-in there. What can you tell us about the excerpts we're going to hear? All right. The first song is a big ensemble number for Jung Hak, the stern and dedicated bodyguard, the one who remains alive. And this is him with the military. And then the second... In 1992 or in 1992? In 1992. Okay. <laughs> 내가 너의 어둠을 오시시네 밝혀줄 수 있다면 삶과를 사이오 이름 없는 들의 꽃이 오시시네 되어도 좋겠네 
before the suicide. It really is a gorgeous moment on stage. And of course, for Korean audiences, these songs were thrice familiar because they were all songs sung by this tragic King musical Kwang idol, Seok. King Kwang Seok. that all of these musicals that we were hearing, except for one, are on Korean themes. I think this next one is the exception, yes? Yes, yes. It's called Frankenstein, and it is indeed based very loosely on the Mary Shelley. It takes considerable liberties. By the way, all of the musicals that I'm playing were big hits in Korea. 
In Korea, unlike on Broadway, a musical will sometimes run for three or four or five months and then tour and then come back to Seoul a year or two or three later. So that many of these musicals, although they may be 10 years old, remain in the repertoire. Wasn't The Days recently revived? Is that what I was yes. just reading yesterday? Yes, right. as was Hero. Another thing I want to point out is that in virtually all of these Korean musicals, unlike U.S. musicals, the heroes are almost always men. And part of this has to do with fan culture in Korea and the fact that the audiences for musicals are overwhelmingly female. Which is why these musicals feature these extremely talented men. Well, also, they're K-pop stars in many cases, yes. are they not? That was the case with The Days. Not with Frankenstein, though. Oh, really? Okay. Which was done as a kind of very serious really tragic musical. And in this version, Dr. Frankenstein creates his creature out of the body of a friend of his. So he's not like the Karloff monster no, or anything like no, that? No, not at all. He looks more human. He's, yes, completely human. From the very beginning, he's a tortured soul. What I want to do is play you the 11 o'clock number, which is an extraordinary scene. The creature has escaped and finds himself in a forest, and in this forest meets a young boy who is lost. The two of them sit on a dock by a lake, and the creature sings to the boy. It's almost as if the creature were singing to his younger self. There lived a man, just a weak man, who admired the sky so much that he decided to become a god himself. That's Frankenstein, of course. His ambition to become a god was nothing but reckless greed. What makes humans think they own this world? And then the boy notices the wound. And the creature says, yes, I was wounded. When you grow up, you will pretend to be a man, too. Do not do that. And he kills the boy, throws him into the pond, and then sings the final stanza. There lived a monster trapped in wounds at the end of the world. Much 
As I was completing this book during the 2021 lockdown, I came across an extraordinary essay by Choi Yu Jun called Modernity as Postcolonial Encounter in Korean Music. This was published in 2019. In it, he writes about the extraordinary fusion forms that were being developed in Korea, really beginning around 2010, that use both Western style music, generally popular music, but also Korean traditional music, which is called gugak, which is an extremely highly developed and extraordinary musical genre that has a number of specific instruments, stringed instruments, a reed flute, a one-string fiddle, a kind of lute-like instrument, auto harp, and so these are all Korean folk instruments, or however you want, but incorporated yes. into, into a musical into popular, style that in, is sort of fusion between West and East, if you will. Right. And this is what he calls fusion gugak. This is what I have found particularly extraordinary. And I just want to play you a couple of examples that are not connected to the musical, but they give you an idea of this development. And they also provide, I would say, a link to the final, the final Korean musical that we're going to talk about. So what's the first thing we're going the to The first hear? is a group called Ensemble Sinawi, again, that uses traditional instruments as well as... Western. This is more of a rock or post-rock song, and it's called Cold Rain, and it's from 2017.
was the ensemble Sinawi, and I think we have one more yes. sort of fusion yes. example. And this is very much post-rock. It's a band called Jambinai that was established around 2012 and is still in existence. And you can find a lot of videos on YouTube. They're an amazing, amazing band. And in particular, I want to play you excerpts from a song of theirs from 2016 titled For Everything That You Lost. And I urge you all to look this up on YouTube because there's a six-minute video of this song that is simply one of the most beautiful and powerful videos about climate change that I've ever seen. I will put the link to that video on the show notes page for the podcast. You can find that at countermelodypodcast.com. I think we have one more musical 
perhaps the most fascinating one to talk about. Yes, this is the one that really changed my life. I've never had such an intense emotional experience in the theater as I did seeing this. It's called Sopionji. I would just like to mention that these were all musicals that you saw, except for Frankenstein. I think you saw yes. all of these musicals on trips you took to Korea, or yes. else, in the case of Hero, in New York. Right. right. So Pyongyi is based on a very celebrated 1993 film by M. Kwon Taek. And it was one of the movies that really put the Korean wave on the map. And, and it, in turn, I think, is based, is based on a very on, important is based book, on, right? Yes, of short stories by a celebrated writer, Yi Chung Jun. The musical has a very complicated plot. It's based on the movie. It's about singers of a traditional musical theater form called Panzuri which is sung by a solo singer, generally a woman, and a drummer. And this is a narrative musical dramatic form that dates back to probably the 18th century and that remains the primary traditional Korean musical dramatic genre. This is about a group of Panzuri musicians in the post-war period at a time when Panzuri was basically disappearing compared to Western music. When the movie was done in the 1990s, and then even more the musical, it really has been seen as rescuing Panzuri, which is, again, a narrative musical theater form, a solo singer. What is most remarkable about it is the very raspy, throaty sound of the performer that takes years of practice to perfect. Much of the musical is about the rigorous, the horrific training process. And even the abusive yes, training. Yes, absolutely, because it's about a brother and sister although they're not, in fact, blood relations who have been But they're adopted. being raised yes, by, they, by a man who is who a is Panzori, a Panzori singer, yes. singer mm -hmm. and is trying to train them. The boy, when he turns about 16, runs away to Seoul. He cannot take the life anymore. And in fact, he ends up joining a rock band in Seoul called the Spring Boys. But the woman stays with her father. And in order to make her a great Panzori singer, he blinds her. Because, again, it is felt that through that suffering only does one through develop the heartbreak in the sound that is necessary right. to convey the true meaning of Panzori. Yes. Right. It's a horrific story. In the second act, the brother is searching for her. This is many years later. Their father has died, and she has become an itinerant musician. And he finally finds out where she is. And he goes to see her, and he recognizes her. We don't know whether... But he never reveals no, to her No, he never who reveals he who he is. And she never lets on that she knows who he is. If she does indeed know who he is. If and that is the tension in this final scene. In this final scene, in which... They 
day, all night, play and sing one of the most famous Panzuri plays, which is also an incredibly sad story about a young woman who sacrifices her life for her father, who has lost his eyesight. Ooh, wow. Okay, so let's introduce each of the three selections that we're going to hear from Sopionji. The first one is uh, called The Freedom of Being Alone, and in that we hear the young woman. This is the young woman's soliloquy toward the beginning of the piece, I think. Yes, Yes. this was performed originally by Li Jaram, who is one of the leading Ponsori performers in South Korea. And she, in particular, has been a great innovator and has done one-woman Ponsori productions of The Good Person of Zen. And Mother Courage. So, in a way, it's a kind of fusion. Then, it, isn't it's it? very much a because fusion one thing Kugak. we didn't mention is that the number of extant Pansuri pieces is fairly limited. Yes. I think there are six. Yeah, so it's a limited repertoire, in other words. So she's expanding the repertoire in really interesting ways, which is another thing that this musical, in fact, did. Yes, and this is at the top of the show. It's very much a I am, I want number. And this is Lee Jaram, very much using a kind of Western pop style of singing. And the translated title is The Freedom of Being Alone. This next example shows us musically what happens when brother and sister are separated and each goes their own musical way. David, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, in this song, there is a remarkable collision of Western rock and roll with Panzuri. Dung Ho, the boy, now man, is practicing with his rock and roll band, while on the other side of the stage, Song Wah is practicing her panzuri. 
This song is a depiction of the kind of violent, dissonant clash of these two musical idioms. Before we introduce this last number, which does incorporate traditional Korean pansori within the context of a Western framework, what can you tell us also about the creators of this musical? The songs are by a former K-pop singer named Yoon Il-sung. He's both composed and orchestrated this piece, which uses a number of Korean traditional instruments. But the basic style of the score is Western, and in particular, it's dominated by two beautiful pasacalias, one associated with the brother, one with the sister. In this selection, the final scene, the final encounter between brother and sister, as Songwa is singing Samchonga, the Panzuri play, the major mode Pasakalia rises and so, engulfs them both. So we hear the Pasakalia and then the completely traditional Korean sound of the Pansuri unfolding over a Western-style Pasakalia. It makes for a really fascinating effect, especially in the theater, which I think also used a lot of yes. amazing lighting effects. Yes. yes. It's really one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen on stage, one of the most moving. 희망을 모르시되 거주 성령이 모시며 처자인 나무로 보아라 신봉사 처자만 들으면 눈에서 눈물이 
Certainly, that is a huge part of the Korean wave or Hallyu. We're going to end the episode today with an example of a musical that played very briefly on Broadway. Right. This is the musical K-pop that played briefly on Broadway in 2022. It initially had run off-Broadway in an immersive environmental production in 2018, I think. It was really superb. Oh, did you see the original? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. I did. And okay. they changed it significantly for Broadway. Well, it and could not no longer be... for the better. No, not, <laughs> not, unfortunately. Although I, in fact, really liked K-pop on Broadway, despite the fact that I thought the book did nothing to help the piece along. The the book, there were problems with the book. But basically it's about two different K-pop groups, a girl group and a boy group. And a boy group and a woman solo singer and about how they're planning to come to the U.S. and how they want to be big stars in the U.S. And this, which is going to close the episode for us, is I think the first... uh, This is the the opening opening number, This is the opening number and it's a kind of classic I am I want song the title of it is this is my Korea music and lyrics by Helen Park and Max Vernon and the book by Jason Kim 
So with this, we will say goodbye for now, but we will be back with a further episode discussing the German portion of this wonderful new book, Tell It to the World. Thank you, David, so much. It's been a real pleasure. and uh, It's been my pleasure. We'll see you very soon, listeners. Thanks for joining us today. Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.